Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode number 12. We're back and feeling much better. Start to the week with the Nashville SC win. I'm Drake Hills. This is Plugged In, the Nashville Soccer Podcast, alongside one of the best mustaches, although you won't be able to see it, but he's got a probably one of the best stashes in soccer media, period. Tom Bogart from MLSsoccer.com. Uh, he's on with us today. Tom, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Drake? Thanks for having me. I, I feel obliged to point out that, you know, Sasha Kleshin is is my muse when it comes to, uh, you know, mustaches around this space. So, you know, you always got to tip the cap. Yeah, I get, yeah, definitely got a shout out to the, to the big bros of, of the stash gang and, and the beer gang as well. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I would say, though, Sasha definitely has his. I mean, I've seen some other players, you know, have have some good stashes. But I would say for beers wise, I mean, for me, as long as I can beat Tim Howard, I'm good. <laughs> if I can beat Tim Howard, I'm good, man. So, but of course, I mean, you've been around for 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 so long when it comes to just covering other different clubs. Obviously, you're looking at it from a bird's eye view. But for this episode, we'll we'll. We'll get to the comparisons later, but here in episode 12, we're going to talk a little bit about Nashville SC, where they are right now, looking at the current situation, which Nashville SC is in, in this rigorous schedule coming off of a win, first home win against Inter-Miami, Sunday, 1-0, Anibal Godoy, nice solid goal, top right corner, beating Luis Robles for the win. And of course, that was the comparison uh, of the 2020 MLS expansion team. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but also Nashville SC's trajectory, taking a look at how will they, yes, perform for the rest of the phase one. And if there is a phase two, how will they do so in such playoffs? What's the playoff look for Nashville SC in the Eastern Conference? And also, are we looking at what, what happens with Orlando when they come into town Wednesday? Man. I got to say, you've been on some of the calls. You've known what Gary Smith has said uh, when it comes to Nashua Seed and compared to other expansion teams, compared to how you know Inter-Miami has started and the like. Tom, what exactly do you see from Nashville in terms of your first impression? What is your first impression of Nashville? I see a lot of what we thought we might be getting and and that's in a good way um we we saw when, when they build the roster you just thought defensive solidity um and and that first and foremost is is extremely impressive for an expansion side so that shouldn't be glossed over but also you saw you know they weren't going to be scoring three goals a game and and that's fine as long as you built the team um again they, the idea was clearly we're going to start make sure the defense is solid and and then you know we're going to get somebody like Hani Mukhtar and, and he's hopefully going to be our match winner. And then Rand- Randall Leal, he's hopefully going to be somebody who grows. Uh, he started off well. Um, you know, he's, he's been interesting, but you know, again, it's supposed to be led by Hani and Hani's still finding his feet. But, but again, if you're conceding as many shutouts as you can get, you know, stupid and as basic as it sounds, that's just really great. And, and 
as long as you're not conceding much, then then you don't need too many goals. And, you know, they still have another DP slot. They still have some room to maneuver. But, you know, the my first impressions are in a good way, kind of exactly what you thought you might be seeing um, from when they did the roster build and, and not to just lazily compare them to other expansion teams. But um, like last year with Cincinnati, when before they played a game, I was able to talk myself into like, OK, you know, I can see the defensive foundation here. Like, you know, maybe they they overpaid for Watson, but he's probably going to be a good player. You know, maybe they overpaid for Hagman, but those two are dominant in the air. Maybe maybe we'll see them just defend deep and and try to kill it on set pieces. And then, you know, their first game, they come out in like a mid block and, you know, just look disorganized and get absolutely ruined by Seattle. Like like Nashville in a good way. Like the plan is very clear right away that, you know, they 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 laid something out and they executed it and, and it's going pretty well so far. Yeah, I would agree. I think the scheme has been successful in in you know in terms of installation. I think Gary Smith has done a great job in making sure that particularly its midfield knows exactly what it's doing, what does it look like uh, without the ball, um, and communication with Walker Zimmerman, Dave Romney in the back line. Those are some good things, and those are some consistencies. And at least he's been consistent with what he requires defensively from each individual player. And I think against Miami. Sunday, uh, it was very clear as to why he moved Randall Lee Allen to more, at least starting the game mm-hmm. into a more central uh, midfield role as opposed to an out, outside midfield and out there on the wing. I think with Randall, he was in a situation where he wasn't required as much to do so much defensive work, mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. to track back and try and go and, and trap a winger. Instead, he was, when the ball was played out wide, it, he was more required to go and trap and try to close down opposing fullbacks. And if the ball is one back, they can spring him forward much more successfully, much more uh, directly, and he can get up top and and up the field much quicker. But we want to take us, we slow down a little bit. Let's, let's catch up and see where Nashua C is right now. August 31st, you've got Nashua after its second win, seven points so far. They just, overtook Chicago in the Eastern Conference standing. So now you're looking at Atlanta, NYCFC, and Cincinnati in kind of in that mid-table. Mm. So the entire Eastern Conference, you got Toronto, Columbus, Philadelphia, Orlando, Red Bulls, New England, Montreal. So those are your those are your conventional playoff spots. But then because of the, the pandemic and how this season is going, you're going to have 10 teams making it in the Eastern Conference as opposed to seven. So you've got Atlanta, NYCFC, and Cincinnati – making the playoffs as of right now. But obviously there's a long way to go. So it's not as if that really matters right now, mm-hmm. just to give some context. Nashville is just below Cincinnati um, in, in that in that 11th spot. So uh, seven points, it, it, it's that's pretty good. Seven points out of seven games. I know it's not the most perfect mm-hmm. start, but it is a start. Um, like you said, it isn't, certainly isn't Cincinnati of 2019. Uh, also, uh, they, played, clear. <laughs> <laughs> they played a home game. They played a home game. Tom, I got to tell you, like, to be honest, the most uncomfortable point I've ever had, the most uncomfortable experience I've ever had in a soccer press box was like the first, I want to say, two minutes. Mm-hmm. So they blew the whistle, 15 seconds, players kneeling. And then once the actual ball kicked off, dead silent. The press box was dead silent. Oh. You couldn't hear – like, you could hear everything. You couldn't hear – like any drums, any let's go, any 
claps, like anything. Bench was quiet. <laughs> Press box was quiet. Players were even quiet. It's just weird, man. Just like compared to the fifty nine thousand, yeah. Um, from February twenty ninth, it just it just didn't sit right with me. So that was definitely something I I can't wait to forget about. But <laughs> like, man, that that was crazy. Um, but also a couple other things that was new for Nashville. Alex Muil, he came in, made a full debut. So that's a little bit different. Um, him getting into the to the side, and then Brian Anungu making his MLS debut. Honestly, do you have like a like a opinion on someone like Alex Muil, someone who's kind of in that he's not obviously like a top top player, but he certainly isn't a player that kind of he hasn't been a bust either. He's just been around, he just plays, but. He did good for Nashville. He's someone to maybe possibly be more optimistic about. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think even if you just go to the, the the lowest floor and at the very worst case scenario, he's just going to be a dependable, hardworking backup winger. And somebody who's not on a high budget charge, somebody who, again, you know what you're getting from him. And and again, that that's the worst case scenario. And, and if, even if that happens, I think that'll be fine because as long as, Gary Smith isn't expecting 10 goals and 10 assists, which I can't imagine that he is. And as long as like he fits into the team as he is, like, I think it's just going to be a solid pickup. Like, you know, the, so I'm, I'm from the Jersey area. So I obviously haven't enough people who watch the Red Bulls that I talk to on a, on a regular basis. And you'll be shocked to learn because Mawil's last name doesn't have an Eno at the end. And he's from, you know, New York city and not South America that, you know, what he does, like it, if you gave him the same numbers as again somebody who has Eno at the end of their name, or was like uh, somebody brought in from Europe or South America, or you know whatever, whatever with the hype that comes from, rather than somebody who came from the academy and then played a little bit in college at Georgetown, you know it was just 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 hot shots at him that like oh you know he doesn't have any end product oh I could I could go do his job I could run around like dude like no you can't like why do you like think that these like professional athletes are like. Yeah, he, he works hard, but he does more than that. And and again, the the worst case scenario for him is that he's just going to be solid and and he's going to be a step up as a backup winger or, you know, best case scenario, he's going to fit into the starting 11 or at least be somebody who plays fairly regularly and that work rate, you know, shines through Gary Smith's system and, and that work rate kind of fits into the team. And, and again, as long as you're not relying on him to be the primary goal scorer or chance creator, then he's just going to be a solid player. That's why I honestly don't see a player with Nashville playing like Alex, which makes Alex even more valuable mm-hmm. because he's already shown in what I want to say nearly a hundred something minutes. I know I know he didn't play full against Orlando. He only played twenty five minutes against Orlando, um, but he's already shown that he's already defensively more committed than any winger that Nashville SC has right now. Randall doesn't want to defend mm-hmm. as much as Gary wants him to. Mm-hmm. David Akam, obviously, even in the in March and February, he helped was responsible partially for the Ezekiel Barco goal. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not to say that these guys are just completely perverse in their way yeah. defensively. Like, they, I mean, it's just not a part of their game. They're not okay. naturally built that way. They're not okay. naturally trained to track back and go help out Eric Miller or Alistair Johnson or mm-hmm. Jaleel Alibaba, whoever's at right back. It's just not a part of their game, but it just seemed like Alex, he just naturally does those things. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's because he's not necessarily anchored to the right wing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you want him to play a more attacking midfield role essentially, or you want him to play more of a box to box, or you want him to play as a second striker. I mean, he just does different things, mm-hmm. but he's very consistent in what he does regardless of where you put him. So that's just what I saw, especially against Miami, but saw just a little bit uh, against Orlando too, because he, he got on to make his mm-hmm. debut. Um, I want to go back to the home field though, because one thing you would like to see from Nashville is to try to implement more of those guys. Like I know Alex is one. We'll talk about Brian Anunga again, who I think has been a product of Nashville's extended training when they weren't able to play in the MLS's back tournament. I think he was a, he was a guy who really benefited from consistently getting in training and learning Gary's system, as well as Alistair Johnston. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to get back to actually being in Nashville for a little while, instead of, you know, getting on a plane, getting off of a plane, two days later, you get on another plane. Like that is something that, that takes a toll as well. And I would say for Nashville, it, although it's not like you're going to play Vancouver, <laughs> you're not going to play Montreal. You're not going to play, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, LAFC or even someone like Minnesota or Chicago. I mean, you're, you're staying somewhat regional, but it still hurts to where obviously every team is having to fly day in and fly out day of. Um, we're going to take just a quick second to hear what Gary Smith has said about exactly what that means for Nashville in this two-game homestead. If you've been involved and you've played at a pro level, then you realise that the simple things become the things that help you through um, towards your best performances, i.e. in your own bed, um, you know, you get up, you're in your own environment, you, you know, you have your food of choice, you have a routine during the day, maybe asleep in the afternoon at the time you choose to. Um, our report timing at the ground, you know, doesn't involve waiting around anywhere. It doesn't involve being in a, you know, a different place or environment or having things that, you know, normally you you look at as, as simple and straightforward, but they're no longer there. So you just heard what Smith says about the actual day of, what it looks like for a team that's traveling into a new home market that that obviously is is a is a road game, but it isn't necessarily the same situation where you fly in the day before, you get in your hotel room, you have meetings, and you're all fresh to go the next day for game day. So it's a little bit different. But as we mentioned earlier, Brian Anunga was somebody who I think he played a bit conservative at times with the ball, especially mm-hmm. right when Nashville C would win possession back. He it's, it's almost as if he tried to find an outlet as opposed to being the one who spurred the counterattack himself. Uh, maybe he gave that to Anibal Godoy. He kind of seceded that and bowed that to, to Anibal to, to let him do that work. But I think other than those maybe one or two occasions, not having any MLS experience, playing three years in USL for Charleston, he's kind of that, you know, jetpack battery guy who can run a lot. Um, he's strong. I think he's underrated in that category. I think he's very intelligent. Um, He's a good player in the locker room, so that's good as well. Uh, I think that's someone who should keep keep an eye on because you can't play Dax McCarty, can't play Anibal Godoy, you know, 90 minutes every every three days. So in terms of the strength, would you argue that the midfield time is stronger than 
the back line, or would you say the back line is stronger than than its midfield? I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I, I'd prob I'd probably lean towards the midfield. I mean, but both are really deep. But obviously, the, this, if the starting group is Zimmerman and Romney again, that's really strong. But but you know, between Dax and Godoy, there's a reason why those two guys were essentially you know two of the first guys that they picked. It's 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 why I picked uh, acquired. It's why you know the the front office and you know Mike Jacobs has, has talked about this and that like when when they would do, um, you know when they were looking at a whiteboard with, you know, 30 roster slots to fill and, and all the money and, and everything. Okay. Like everybody go back, um, you know, the homework assignment, everybody, you know, put down a realistic, a starting 11 that you think that we could acquire for them like that, that you think that would work well. And, and, you know, there's six people in the room or whatever. They come back the next day, all six people had Godoy and McCarty as the starting center mid pairing. And it turned out, you know, five of the six had Zimmerman on the back line. So, you know, this is, there's a reason why these two players were specifically put together and not to well, come back to Anunga at, at, at some point, but like, as you pointed out with Anunga isn't, wasn't say, you know, you know, progressing the ball. He wasn't, you know, breaking the lines and, and, you know, he's, he's in there to be a destroyer. And a lot of USL people were talking about him after they signed with Nashville, you know, like Jeff, Jeff Reuter, um, uh, chief among them about, Hey, this is a good player. And like, you know, I hope he gets a few minutes. Um, but you know, Dax and, and Godoy, Dax is the ball progressor in that in that partnership. So I think Dax is is one of the best in the league at completing a forward pass after recovering the ball, which is a specific stat. But you know there there aren't many ways. To, you know I think we all know that Dax and, and a lot of people around the league thankfully know that know that Dax is a really good player, a really important player. But you know how do you how do you quantify that? How do you explain that with numbers? And I think that that's a good stat that I heard recently that I loved and and completely agree with. But Bedoy. In, in that scenario is the one that keeps the ball. He, he's top 10 in, uh, in the league in pass completion percentage. And again, that's largely because he's playing sideways and backwards. But if you're standing next to Dax, Dax is the one that progresses the ball. So, you know, Godoy is is supposed to be, you know, to break it down in simplest terms, he's the ball winner. Dax is the passer. They they obviously both do a little bit of both. But, you know, all things being equal, the, the perfect play would be, you know, Godoy winning the ball, passing to Dax, playing it forward, and springing an attack. Um, so, I, I was interested to see what was going to happen when Anunga came in for Dax. You know, does yep. Godoy still, you know, play conservatively when when recovers the ball, or, or does he play it forward? Um, and and how does Anunga kind of fit in? And I thought that that worked better than than I thought it might. Just just in that, you know, the the ball was was getting forward, and and they they were at least looking dangerous in in transition. And obviously Godoy ends up popping up with the goal. Uh, so and um, the broadcast said that their celebration was. Uh, joking around about people saying that they parked the bus, which I thought they were setting up for a canoe, but I think the bus was even funnier. But <laughs> I don't know, man. I hear I heard bobsled, I heard bus, I heard canoe, I heard train. I heard a train, and I was like, mm, nah, because I saw. Yeah, that feels like a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I was, nah, I was like, nah, nah, that's not it. I would, I would definitely say if I had to go with one, I would say it's probably canoe or like canoe to me. bus, because you. Like the arm motion, you don't move your arms in a bobsled. Like, have you ever watched the Winter Olympics? Like, come on. So, but you mentioned a good point though, because I was, <laughs> I was ready to fire off a tweet, um, especially in like the first twenty minutes, and I was like, either Nunga or Godoy need to sit behind Miami's. Uh, I think it was Pellegrini and Carranza. They kind of had like a front two in a defensive mm-hmm. block, and there was them, and then there was like seven, eight, maybe <laughs> ten yards of space between yeah. them. And the midfield with, I think it was um, Lewis Morgan kind of set back. And then he was with like Will Trapp and the wide guys. And 
I was like, Anunga needs to be in there or Godoy needs to be in there. Like Anunga often, if the ball was like coming to the left and Dan Lovitz had possession, Anunga would come to the to the touchline and try to pick up possession there. And I was just confused because it's not like Godoy was in the center, you know, in between lines either. So I was like, one of you guys need to be in there because you guys would have yards of space once you guys pick up the ball. And it would give Miami problems because then Will Trapp would have to come way out to defend or maybe Lewis Morgan would be be the one to come get the balls or to come mark. So that was a bit frustrating. But then I guess towards as the match, you know, kind of progressed, it looked like they figured it out. And you mentioned Godoy's you know, passing percentage. I mean, he had a 93 percent passing percentage yesterday mm-hmm. against Miami. So I guess that's right down your alley of, of, mm-hmm. of your your knowledge of, of and the ball. So. Yeah, it was finally – it's good because he said after the game, he was like, you know, I prefer to play box-to-box. Mm-hmm. And because of Anunga, I kind of felt more trust and more belief and confidence that I could do that. But, again, if – usually I am a holding midfielder mm-hmm. and that, you know, with, with Dex or someone else, that's usually my job. And it, he said it didn't matter. He was like, it's not like I – it's not like I am crying. Like, it's not like I'm – upset of not being a box-to-box. That's just – it depends on the shape. It depends on the formation. So, I mean, I agree with him, but I would like to see him do that a little bit more just because, I mean, he literally – there was one point in the game, but Pellegrini came behind him and tried to, I guess, like clip the ball from behind. And Godoy just one arm with his right shoved (laughs) him like (laughs) like Derrick Henry or something. I don't know. I don't know. That was just interesting to see because it Uh just – it encapsulates who Andabal is on the ball. You can't really, he's a big, strong guy. And before I actually saw him in person, I thought he was going to be like 5'9". Or <laughs> he's like, nah, <laughs> he's one of the biggest dudes. So just moving on towards just your overall study uh, of Nashville, you've been, like we talked about even off, off air, you've been pretty much in any interview, any <laughs> media availability throughout MLS. Is there a particular brand that Nashville SC has, a particular feeling, a particular aura, the way they talk about themselves, the way they talk about what they're doing, as opposed to, you know, maybe any other team that you've been covering this year? Yeah, um, and and I do enjoy uh, listening to Gary Smith talk because he's – I respect the guys. If you, if you give him a good question, he'll give you a good answer. Like, he, he won't kind of dodge around questions. Um, but, like – I I understand why he was hitting back at like the defense minded versus organized or whatever. And, and I'm sure that that's a sticking point for him because he got stuck with that, you know, in Colorado. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I think it's inarguable that, that they're a like, strong defensive team. And if somebody calls that defense minded, then like, I, 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 I don't see, like, I, I find that kind of inarguable again, like they, they, they set up to, to, you know, defense uh, defensively first, but you know, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be adventurous, but, but they're going to like, I don't know how to uh, particularly word this, but because just him trying to hit back at it. And I, I, I understand him trying to, you know, form the narrative that, you know, we're not a team that's for lack of a better term, parks the bus or whatever. And they don't do that. And I think that that's where I grew them. But um, I think that, I don't think that it's a bad thing if you're called a defensive team, if, if you're, if you're good at defending that that's that's a good thing and and i understand that sometimes the perception like neutrals they want it to be four three and three one you know would lafc lost yesterday to seattle three one they they lost to the galaxy two nil would would they have wanted to be a defensive team in one of those games like i'm sure they would you know like it's just like i I don't know i i think that it's just 
so people are going to talk and, and and you know he, he has a right to defend himself um but i don't think it's a bad thing that they're you know defensively sound and and it, if people kind of see that as they're unadventurous which i don't think they are but but they're also not you know high flying like lafc and, and again that there's like, i don't think that there's anything wrong with that and, and i don't think that that's a bad thing you know yeah and i would say at least for going forward i'd rather start with my solidity up the spine i'd rather start yeah. with having a dave romney who can dribble the ball walker zimmerman he's one of the obviously he's one of the best overall center backs but I think he's he's very intelligent and he commands his space. And as we, we, we talked about Dax, we've talked about Anibal individually and as a collective. I mean, it's only right to have that first mm-hmm. and have, you know, spending, you know, I don't know, seven million on, you know, two or three players up top. And then you have a lot of inexperience, mm-hmm. you know, in central midfield and at the center back position, you're looking to try to find those unique left-footed center backs someone like dave romney who that's that's hard to come by at least at a starting level position so i mean i definitely agree with that and going forward i think that 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 allows them to be a little bit more less frugal Mm -hmm. uh, and and allows them to have a little bit more leeway in terms of what they're doing in the in the transfer market which kind of leads us to the next topic is i mean you've you've been well versed in what's going on internationally Mm-hmm. for Nashville SC, have those reports and have those players still been a possibility for Nashville? Are they are they moving on, or do you think that their scheme has been changing because of how they've been playing recently? So the last time that I checked in on this with, with people at the club um, was, you know, maybe a month or so ago, so I'm, I'm not sure if it has really changed. But, you know, I, I again, I, I'd be – surprised if the third DP isn't either a forward or a goal scoring winger again, I guess, depending on um, what the front office decides is, is the biggest need, but it, I can't imagine not being an attacker. And they were genuinely interested in Akelo, but they were, and, and just not just interested, discussed a possible transfer, genuinely, genuinely discussed the transfer for Maxi Romero. So I'll, I'll start with Romero because it's, it's, I guess the only, the one that I suppose there could be a possibility, but one, he would be a lot of money. Like, and he's his track record. I think PSV want rightfully probably want like ten million for him because Argentinian youth international, still twenty three years old. You know, he's he's not the kind of guy that that teams teams in Europe don't get that guy for three million dollars. Like, it, regardless of what his next move is, PSV are going to try to hold out for ten million as they probably should. But uh, the one that was complicated about that is on top of that, on top of just the price there. But two is that PSV got a new coach this summer and he wants to kind of um, analyze a squad and then Maxi is one of them. So a, a move wouldn't come immediately and national aren't in a rush anyway. Like um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my name on a timeline, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if a third DP doesn't come until the winter because they've played seven games and you need to analyze the squad to, to figure there's, there's a reason why that DP slot was open was because you wanted to see 25 games. Okay. Here's what we know we're good at. Here's what we know we can improve at. And, and here's, you know, you have a better idea and, and you're not just rushing into decisions. So, again, I don't think there's any rush. Ake Loba, though, uh, might unfortunately be the one that got away because he kind of, like, played himself out of Nashville, if that makes sense, because Nashville were had scouted him when he was in Peru. Um, and, you know, nobody really knew who he was or, you know, obviously the people in the game did, but, you know, he wasn't on many radars. And then he got loaned to Liga MX and Nashville – 
he was even better than Nashville thought he was going to be because then he, he he's scoring goals in league MX. And then all of a sudden that price gets way up. And all of a sudden when Monterey and Tigre start calling, like that's just a different stratosphere of yeah. spending. That's just, we're talking know, CONCACAF champions league now. That Two of the best teams on the continent to two of the high, the most lavish, most opulent teams on the continent. So, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate. It, it would have been good. The best case scenario is if he did, he did well in the league MX so that, you know, the scouts and, and the front office are like, okay, he is a good player. We were right here. But but he did too well in that, you know, price was gone and Monterey is in. And it's when if Monterey, you know, is coming in, obviously a player is going to want to go there. And, and obviously the price is going to continue to go up. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, I, I expect them to to get um, a DP attacker at some point. Uh, just timeline is TBD. And who that is, is TBD. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna end up we're gonna wind down now. But I wanted to take a look at your assessment, or at least your assessment of Nashville's trajectory because of how they've done in these first couple of games in Phase One. What do you see that's different now versus obviously back in February and March? Albeit the big caveat is, I mean, it's rightfully so that pretty much every team in MLS is going to be slightly different for better or for worse. Um, how does your perspective or, you know, your POV of Nashville right now, what does it look like for Nashville at the end of the season, playoff implications, et cetera? I think that, I mean, well, every team should be fighting for the playoffs considering how many teams are going to make the playoffs, but <laughs> they'll very much be in that space. Um, and I, if I had to handicap it now, I would I would call them one of the ten best teams in the East. And, and again, that's not exactly a high bar, but it, it's not a bad thing either. That um, so if it is ten, then then they 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 will be around there, and they probably should make it if things go well. But um, you know, their perspective, like like we said, you know, no surprises that they're good defensively, and then no surprises that you know they're limiting opponents to creating chances, and, and but in turn that means that they're not you know exactly creating a, a ton. But they're they're doing enough. It, it just I guess it, it just comes down to whether Hani you know finds his feet and, and shows the form that he did in Denmark and, and where else and then all the reasons that they that they bought him. Um because he's gotta be the one that, you know, stars drive the bus. He's he's gotta be the one that, that drives the bus. Um and and as long as one of Don Baji, Daniel Rios, proves to be just average chance finisher, just just a solid like if you give him just a poor man's Yossi Fitzardis, uh, for, for lack of a better term. Just someone who, you know, you know, you know what? He's like he, he's gonna like Yossi doesn't get enough credit for just how good he is at positionally and and reliable at goal scoring these days. But as long as you're somebody that you know, if they get three chances in a game, they'll, they'll finish one or whatever. You know what I mean? So that that's gonna hinge a lot on that. Um, but but um, they've got a good foundation, and and I'd be you know really surprised if, if they don't you know find themselves on on the positive end of the playoff search. Tom Bogert, MLSsoccer.com. He's breaking news. He's writing features. He's assessing teams. He's looking at pretty much every team in MLS. Uh, follow Tom on Twitter, at Tom Bogert. Man, for perspective, though, because I know we're going audio only, but I got to put this out there. So for one, I just say shout out Talisman. I see the hat. <laughs> Definitely dope. Definitely going to get mine off air. We're going to take a quick flick because that's dope. I haven't experienced uh, you know, having interacted with much who, who really support the brand. So shout out Dustin Brandon real quick. Um, but also for people, for context, Tom is to me is like a younger, smaller, shorter Taylor Luan. 
I'm gonna say one. The stash, the hair. It's the brows too, man. Like it's everything. It's it's Taylor Lewan for sure. Taylor Lewan's younger brother. That's what it is. It's the first time in my life I've been compared to an offensive lineman in football. <laughs> Whether it was high school offensive lineman, college offensive, peewee offensive lineman. It was the first offensive lineman comparison. I respect that. One of the biggest fellas, of course. I mean, <laughs> obviously for Taylor being who he is, busting with the boys podcast, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, just it's it's the looks, man. It's the features. You have that at least. If you want to, if you start want to add, you know, a little of that that spice in your personality, you know, maybe get a little more controversial. I think you can maybe match him characteristically wise. But at least for the features, man, you got it down. You got it down. I'm putting up videos of me chugging beers. I can't. I can't match him for for that pace though. So now you'll just need I'll to work find, on it. You'll just need to find a Will Compton, you know, as as your as your partner in crime, and you'll be all good. <laughs> Tom Bogart, everybody. This has been episode 12, Plugged In, a National Soccer Podcast. Signing off. We'll see you next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.